Uh, I invite you to turn this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 10 through 21. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 10 through 21. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at this passage, uh, and we reflected on what it has to teach us about the need to be familiar with the voice of Jesus from the Bible. Uh, so that when the Holy Spirit brings the words of Scripture to us, whether that's from other people or from the word that's been hidden in our, in our hearts, we can recognize that Jesus is talking. We can pay attention. And we can follow him. And we also talked about how to develop that skill by doing three things. We learn to uh, hear Jesus over the voices of the world in our own heads and hearts, first by simply reading the Bible over and over and over and over again. And we talked about a number of tools that are available to help us do that, uh, things like the Book of Common Prayer, Bible reading plans, free audio Bibles, and again, that infographic I've been putting out in the weekly emails. Uh, just like you learn to pick the voice of your loved one out of a crowd by listening to them talk over and over and over again, you learn to pick out the voice of Jesus in the Bible over a noisy world by listening to him over and over and over again. Uh, and then we also talked about the need for silence after we read, so that the words of Jesus can work their way deeply into us. And just to remind you, I encouraged you to build that habit by setting a timer for one minute after you finished reading the Bible and just sit, delight, pray with Jesus and enjoy the word he just spoke to you uh, in silence just for one minute. And then finally, uh, we talked then about the need to hear Jesus's word with other people. Because one of the ways we learn to hear that Jesus is talking is when another of Jesus' people sort of like taps us on the shoulder and says like, hey, this sounds like Jesus, we better pay attention, which of course is exactly what Eli does for Samuel in our story this morning. And I'm repeating all of this because I think this skill is so foundational and it's so important to the Christian life that if we're bad at it, or worse, if we don't practice it at all, then Christian maturity and growth are nearly impossible. In fact, like I talked about last time, I really think if we're not trying to practice this skill of listening to Jesus, we'll be a people who hear the word but don't do it, like James warned us against. We'll be a people who uh, are tragically inconsistent in our obedience, that is, we'll be hypocritical, and most scary of all, we'll too easily fall into the trap of listening to false prophets who take the Lord's name in vain by masking the work of Satan under the name of Jesus. And all this is why this morning we're going to reflect one more time from this passage on something that's very much related to that skill, which is the need to trust that when Jesus speaks, he speaks for our good. One thing we're all, all of us, really good at is selective listening. We hear the things we want to hear, and we don't hear the things we don't want to hear or were afraid to hear. I remember uh, from my own childhood, my mom would get so frustrated with me because whenever she asked me to put things away, I would never hear her. Uh, but when she asked me if I was ready for dessert, I would always hear her. Uh, kids, how many of you have that same problem? Uh, adults, how many of us have that same problem? Uh, maybe not when it comes to putting things away, but maybe when it comes to hearing bad news or hearing critiques about our own behavior or the job we did. How many of us tune out when there's bad news about us? 
And for how many of us does our tuning in or out depend on the person who's speaking? Right? There are people that we trust to give us hard news, and there are people that we don't trust. Uh, if we trust them, we're more likely to hear them and listen to them. If we don't trust them, we tend to tune out. So the character of the speaker, is he or she trustworthy or not? Our relationship to the speaker, are we close to them or not? Uh, very much affects whether or not we will hear the critique of the speaker, the content of the speaker. Do we want to hear this or not? The same is true of the way that we listen to Jesus. If we believe that Jesus is trustworthy and if we are close to him, then even if the content is hard, we'll tune in and listen with confidence. We'll practice the skill of listening. But if we don't trust Jesus or if we're distant from him, then we won't. See, the skill of recognizing and tuning in to the voice of Jesus over the noise of the world is directly related to what we believe about Jesus's character and to the depth of our relationship with him. And you'll see that in our passage this morning. You'll see one person, Samuel, respond to the word of the Lord with hesitation and fear. And you'll see another person, Eli, respond to the word of Jesus with welcome and trust. And the difference between them, as I hope to show you this morning, is the confidence or lack of confidence that each person has in Jesus's goodness and his character and his purposes and plans for their life. And uh, by reflecting on, on this story, reflecting on Eli and Samuel, my hope is that we will not only see how connected trusting Jesus is to listening to him, but I, I really also hope we'll grow in our trust in Jesus's character and in the plans and purposes he has for all of us. Uh, so let's read 1 Samuel 1, 3, 1 through 21, and then we'll reflect on all of this, this briefly this morning. Let's, let's hear God's word. 1 Samuel 3, verse, starting in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent prophecy. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and Samuel said, Here I am, and he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord again called, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Then Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. 
On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the prophecy to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The grass withers, flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, again, as we reflect on this uh, powerful portion of your word, we ask that you would help us to hear it, to believe it, to know it. Lord, we want to be a people who, like Eli, ask to hear your word and who trust the word that we hear uh, because we want to be able to follow you with confidence and joy. And so, Father, we pray, therefore, that your spirit now would give us uh, ears to hear your word, minds to understand it, and hearts to believe it. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to uh, hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to reflect on is what I see as Samuel's hesitancy to hear Jesus' word. Uh, so at the end of this funny story of Samuel mistaking the Lord's voice for Eli's voice, which we talked about last Sunday, uh, Eli recognizes that it's Jesus calling. So in verse 9, he tells Samuel what to do the next time Jesus calls. He says, go lie down, and if he calls you again, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. But... When the Lord calls Samuel again in verse 10, you might have noticed that Samuel doesn't repeat verbatim what Eli told him to say. He doesn't say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He says, speak, for your servant hears. He doesn't use the name Lord. Uh, one of the characteristics of ancient Hebrew storytelling is that when a message is given for someone to deliver, like a king giving a message to a servant or the Lord giving it to a prophet, what usually happens in the text of the Bible is that the message is given in detail and then it's delivered in the same detail. It's delivered word for word. It's delivered verbatim. So a king will say to someone, you know, go tell my servants I want the blue couch. I want you to move the blue couch to the front window that faces the red barn. And then we'll read, so the servant went and said, I want you to move the blue couch to the front window that faces the red barn. It's word for word. It's verbatim. Or if it's not that, then it's a, a declaration that it was in fact given verbatim, like we read in verse 18 when God says, 
that Samuel told Eli everything and hid nothing from him. Uh, since we're not getting a summary statement, we're supposed to expect a verbatim repetition of Eli's instructions. And you just see this pattern all throughout the Bible, especially in Kings and Chronicles. And frankly, uh, this aspect of ancient Hebrew storytelling, where you get this long description of what you're supposed to say, and then you read them, give the same description, feels tedious to us because uh, that's not the way we tell stories. But if you've read the Bible, you know it's there, right? This is the common way that the, he that the ancient Hebrew uh, storytelling. Uh, that doesn't happen here. Samuel omits the word Lord. Why? Uh, I think it's because Samuel is afraid of Jesus. And like we talked about last time, that doesn't mean that Samuel didn't believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean that Samuel isn't saved. It doesn't mean he doesn't have faith. It doesn't mean he didn't serve Jesus. In fact, he names himself Jesus' servant, just like Eli told him to. He leaves that part in. And remember back in verse 1, the text tells us that Samuel was a servant of Jesus. And we saw last week how uh, his service to Eli and Jesus' people was clearly out of love for God and for God's people. No, Samuel was Jesus' servant. He's a follower of Jesus. But like many Christians, like many of us, Samuel, I believe, has some fear of Jesus. There's some distrust there. Why do I say that? For two reasons. One rooted very specifically in this text, and then one rooted more broadly in the Old Testament. Let's start with the more broad Old Testament one. Uh, you'll notice that the word for Lord there in your Bibles, in all of your Bibles, is in all capital letters. And our translations do that when the personal name for Jesus is used in the Old Testament. Uh, so the word Lord there, all capitals, is not an honorific title. And an honorific kids, uh, honorific title kids means uh, the title you call someone out of respect. So sir, ma'am, miss, missus, doctor, your honor. Those are honorifics. You're showing people respect. It's a way of talking respectfully to somebody. Uh, Jesus has honorific titles throughout the Bible. Lord in lowercase letters is one of them. The Holy One is another one. The Glorious One, the Blessed One. Those are all honorific titles. But this word for Lord in all capital letters is not a title. It's God's personal name in the Old Testament. When Old Testament Israelites used this word Lord in all capitals, when they heard it, when they read it, when they thought about it, they think about it the very same way that we think of the name Jesus. And for the exact same reasons. When we say God's name, Jesus, we think about God's compassion to the wayward and the weak. We think about Jesus being merciful to, uh, to the sick and the hungry. We think about uh, Jesus, we think about his goodness. We think about his faithfulness and his kindness. When we think about Jesus, we think about God as Savior, as a helper, as a friend. We think about the God who is compassionate to widows and orphans, who turns endings into new beginnings and brings life from the dead. Right? When we think about Jesus, we think about his earthly ministry. When God reveals his name, the Lord, in all capital letters in the Old Testament, he does it first, for the very first time in Exodus, 
when he raises Israel out of, death of, out of the death of slavery in Egypt and into new life with him in the wilderness and in the promised land. When they saw or said the name Lord in all capitals, they thought of the God who is Jesus, compassionate, faithful, kind, saving, a friend, a helper, faithful, the deliverer, the one who fed them with water from the rock and manna in the wilderness. They thought of someone who uh, you welcome and listen to with confidence, even if they have a hard word to say, because they knew it would be okay. Because Jesus, the Lord, only says things for our good. Because he only does things for our good. Because he's Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the deliverer. He's the Savior. And when he acts and when he speaks, it's always for our ultimate salvation and for our home with him. So to name our God Jesus is to name him as the one who is trustworthy because he is good. To name our God Lord in all capitals is to name him as the one who is trustworthy because he is good. So when Samuel omits the name Lord, we are seeing someone with, I think, who has hesitation and fear. And I think that for also one more reason. After hearing this very hard word from Jesus about his uh, guardian, about his mentor and his friend Eli, we're told in verse 15, Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors to the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the prophecy to Eli. Uh, remember, like we talked about last time, Hebrew storytelling is famously sparse on details. Uh, so think about the details we're given. Samuel is laying on the floor of the temple. The words of Jesus' judgment are ringing in his ears. The sun comes up, and while I know the text doesn't say this exactly, can't you feel the slow, heavy hesitation of Samuel as he opens the doors to the house of the Lord, as he opens the way to the God of salvation, having just heard a word of judgment from that same God of salvation. And the text tells us he opens them afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had told him. Uh, I think it's important to notice that Jesus didn't tell Samuel to tell what Eli said. Right? God doesn't tell Samuel, go tell Eli. He just tells Samuel what he's already told Eli back in chapter 2. So when it says that Eli is afraid to tell Samuel, what is he afraid of? He's not afraid of disobeying the Lord's command. He's not considering whether or not to tell him or not to obey Jesus' command to tell him. Jesus didn't say, you have to tell him. No, what, e what uh, Samuel is obviously afraid of is what it will do to Eli. And also I think he's afraid of what it will do to their relationship and maybe EY's relationship with the Lord. Uh, if I speak this hard word to my guardian, if I say this difficult word to my father figure, to my mentor, to my friend, uh, what will it do to his faith? What will it do to us? Will our relationship end? Will his faith in Jesus end? And what do I say after I say it? Like what comes next? What do I follow on with? Do I follow, it'll be okay? Like, what do I say? Uh, how many of us have had these kinds of thoughts when we've had to have hard conversations with people we love because, we're, uh, because they were walking against the words of Jesus? And at the heart of all these thoughts is the word God uses in verse 15, fear. Uh, we're afraid, we're afraid. 
that God is not really Jesus-like in character. Uh, We're afraid that God is not the Lord who rescues and redeems. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we're afraid that there is no way that God's judgment can be a doorway into his mercy, that the cross doesn't lead through Jesus to the resurrection. Uh, Maybe now you can sense what I believe are the the distance and the distrust that Samuel has for Jesus. Uh, Not a lack of saving faith, but a lack of confidence in Jesus' character and Jesus' purpose and his goodness and his power to save. Uh, How many of us feel, have felt this, maybe feel this now? A lack of confidence in Jesus. How can this word be spoken by a good God for the good of his people? How can this action be done by a good God for the good of his people? Do those questions sound familiar at all to any of us? Uh, That question is important. And our text gives us a response to it. But as is common, again, in Hebrew storytelling, it answers it through story. Uh, It raises the question in the story of Samuel, and it answers it here in the character of Eli. Uh, So in verse 16, Eli calls Samuel over and he says, Samuel, my son. Uh, Can't you hear the tenderness in Eli's voice? Eli understood that Samuel was afraid. And the more I think about Eli's responses in 1 Samuel, the more I'm struck by just the amount of wisdom he had here at the end of his life. Eli recognizes uh, that Samuel didn't come running to him in the middle of the night, but stayed laying on the floor, which meant something must have been bothering Samuel. Why would you not come immediately to your mentor and friend and say, let me tell you what Jesus said? And since Eli is nearly blind, he can't see, but I'm willing to bet he heard the doors opening more slowly. Maybe he heard the feet trudging while he's walking. Maybe he heard Samuel trying to be more quiet than normal because he was trying to avoid the conversation, whatever it is, Eli recognizes that Samuel was afraid. So he calls him over to help him unburden his heart, and he calls him, my son. Now, I want us to stop there for a second so that we can ask ourselves something. If you were Eli, and the last time you heard the word of Jesus, which was back in chapter 2, And it was a word of judgment about you and your family. It was a word that pointed out your own failures and flaws. And now Samuel, your uh, sort of adopted son, is clearly afraid, having just heard the word of the Lord. Wouldn't you, if you were in Eli's position, assume that Samuel had heard another word of judgment? Of course you would. Right? Who would not assume that? And who would want to hear that word? Does Eli love Samuel and want to help him? Absolutely. But is that love sufficient to overcome the fear that he probably had in his own heart of hearing again another hard word from Jesus? Maybe. I think, though, that there's something else going on here as well. I don't think it's purely a love for Samuel that motivates Eli to call him over. I think it's an abiding love and trust in Jesus, even in difficult things, that makes him long 
for every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because he says in verse 17, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. See, Eli doesn't simply want to help unburden Samuel. He wants to hear himself and carry himself all the words of Jesus in detail, good and bad, hard and easy. Samuel, I need you to tell me all of it. Don't leave anything out. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't summarize it. Give me all of it, every word. Uh, You need to unburden your heart, Eli is telling Samuel, and I need to hear every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So let's do both, right? Like unburden your heart by telling me all the words of God so we can both have our needs met. And so we're told in verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And uh, I just want to say, don't imagine Samuel saying this with his chest out, confident voice, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, He's afraid. I bet he said this Quietly, I wouldn't be surprised if Eli had to tell him to repeat himself a couple of times because he mumbled it. Or maybe he's one of those people when he got afraid, like me, where he starts talking at Mach 10 and people can't understand the words and you slow down, take a breath. Like whatever it is, whatever you do when you speak when you're afraid, imagine Samuel doing that. But Eli patiently listens. He gets all the details He lets Samuel speak. And then notice Eli's response at the end of verse 18. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So many people, myself included, have read this phrase as sort of resignation, right? Like, it's God and I can't do anything about it, so okay. But in the Bible, this is not the way that God's people resign themselves to the inevitable. No, this is the way that God's people express trust in Jesus, even in the valley of the shadow of death. David says in 2 Samuel, when he's unsure about what the Lord will allow or not, and David has his preferences, but he says, hey, whatever happens, let the Lord do what seems good to him. Eli isn't resigning himself to his fate. He's entrusting himself to the hands of Jesus. I trust that this hard word is for my good and for the good of my family, for the good of God's people. I trust that even if this hard thing isn't averted by repentance and it happens, that Jesus will still bring life out of it. I trust my shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For Jesus is with me. The Lord is with me. Let him do what seems good to him. Why does he say this? Because it's the Lord, all capitals. It's Jesus. It's the Savior. This is the God of salvation. This is the God of the resurrection, of new life and new hope. He is the friend of widows and orphans. He's the father of the fatherless. He's the prince of peace. He's the rock of refuge for his people. He's the shelter and stronghold of the distressed and the oppressed. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. 
He is my creator, the sustainer, and the lifter of my head. He is Jesus. He is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him, because what he will do will only be good at the end for me and his people and his world. You see, because of Eli's confidence in the character and the ways of Jesus, he sought the voice of Jesus in the word and he listened to it and he welcomed it into his heart even when it was hard to hear again. My friends, as we think about our own need to grow and our skill of being familiar with the words of Jesus, my prayer is that we will simultaneously grow in trusting the character and the purpose of Jesus. That we won't simply read the Bible to be familiar with the words as such, but to be familiar with the one who is speaking them, with the character of Christ, with the purposes of God in this world, so that like Eli, we will tune in not only because we're familiar with the voice of Jesus, but because we are confident in his character, we are sure of his purposes, and we have a desire to have every word that proceeds from the mouth of God enter into our hearts so that no matter what happens, we can walk in confident trust that whatever he says and whatever he does, he says and does to bring us life with him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, as we read your word and as we reflect in your ways, we ask that you would help us to grow more and more confident in your goodness and your mercy in your kindness and your ability to turn even the grave into a stage for resurrection life. Uh, Lord, help us to know you more and to trust you more uh, so that we would listen to you and your word with more and more eagerness and joy and contentment and so that we would welcome it into our hearts in the confidence that whatever you say and whatever you do is because you are good and it's for our good because you love us. And uh, we ask this all in the name of your word who has made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.